Well, hello, Portland Trailblazers fans. If there are any enthusiastic Portland Trailblazers fans left at this point in the season, I'm Dave Deckard here with Marlo Ferguson, and we are here for Dave and Marlo. Your look at the week that was, the week that's coming, and everything hot surrounding the Portland Trailblazers. Marlo, hot and the Portland Trailblazers do not belong in the same sentence. They have lost four in a row, three since last time we talked, and also seven out of their last nine, and... 10 uh other last what 13 something like that it's it's a lot uh it's been a long time since they've had a three-game winning streak that happened back at the beginning of february uh, they haven't won two in a row since the beginning of march and they've pasted together a lot of losing streaks i don't know how are you feeling well i'll tell you this dave i'm a very confused individual right now because i i, I didn't think that we go from we're talking about the, the fifth seed in the West to the number five seed in the NBA draft this quickly. And uh, I do you one better with the stat. Um, since the All-Star break, the Blazers have been outscored by 8.4 points per 100 possessions. Uh, I guess the good news is that that ranks second. The bad news is the rest of the NBA ranks first. So they're dead last in that regard. It's been it's been terrible. And this is a team that thinks they can make a run, and they just don't have the numbers to back that up. And it's, it's, it's crunch time now. If it wasn't before, it's really crunch time now. They're falling out of the race, so it's it's, it's going to be must watch. It, it's getting crunched time now. Uh, so uh, yeah, let's let's follow that up a little bit. Around the All Star break, the Blazers still had an even margin of victory. In other words, they were right on the borderline between you know points scored and points against. Now they're at negative one point five point differential, which is not the worst. Uh, technically it is the 13th worst in the Western Conference, but there are plenty of teams in the league below them. But do you know how much you have to lose by to drop yourself from zero to negative 1.5 in a month? Like over the course of a season, like this is measured. So the Blazers have just started submarining themselves. Uh, margin of victory at this point is a pretty good indicator of how good your team is. Going the wrong way is not great. And I can count one, two, three, four, five, six teams in the league with a worse one than Portland right now. And that's saying something. Yeah, it's tough. And I think the thing that I, I dislike the most about it is that not only are they losing the games that we expect them to lose, but also the ones that they should, probably should win. They face a lot of teams as of late. You know, the Pelicans without their best player. Uh, the New York Knicks with without arguably, I would say maybe I take, but Jalen Brunson is he's that guy. So I think that he's he's probably their best player, too. So they've, they've had some chances to, to come back home and get wins and string together a winning streak. And it just hasn't happened. And I I, I hate what it what it's going to do for potentially for Damian Lillard in this all NBA case. You know, them being the, the 13th seed in the, in the Western Conference or whatever, it, it really makes a difference. So it's it's. It's difficult for a team that has aspirations of, of really becoming something, and it's, it's just disappointing, you know, all in all. Let's talk about the one that got away. I mean, the one they were closest to, ironically, might have been the hardest game of the week, which was uh, in Philadelphia. And Damian Lillard had a tough night. He shot only 6 of 15, 2 of 8 from the arc. That terrible night for him was good enough for 22 points and 11 assists, which shows you how Damian Lillard is going now. But... Uh, Anthony Simons came back and had a huge 13 for 22 night, 8 for 12 from the three-point arc, 34 points. It was everything you wanted from Ant. And they just ended up not being able to stop Joel Embiid, to almost nobody's surprise. Embiid goes to the line 18 times, shoots 13 to 20 for 20 from the field, scores 39, including the last shot in the lane, which was pretty well defended. And Embiid puts them up by one. Of course, the big memory from that night is the Blazers did have one more possession. They inbounded it, but uh, they inbounded it poorly to Lillard. It seemed almost nobody was moving on that set except Lillard. And Lillard was on the far side of the court, by the way, which is not the primary place to catch it. And also was moving away from the bucket when he caught it, bobbled it, couldn't even get a shot off. Tell me your memories of Philly, and then let's talk about that last play a little bit. Well, I think the execution on that last play was, was terrible. You know, just to be frank, the, the pass wasn't good. We need Nicholas Batum back for a pass like that. And uh, and Damian Lillard, the, the shot wasn't wasn't great. My memory of that game, and I'll, I'll read this out to you, um, the Blazers led that game for 45 minutes and 55 seconds, and the game was tied for 47 minutes and 59 seconds. So that means that the, the 76ers led for one second and found a way to win that game. So. 
it's a gut wrenching loss. Um, and I think that the 25 fast break points really told the story. You talked about that in our DM with, with the Knicks game right after that. Um, 20 for 30 at the free throw line. I think that's tough. The third worst output of the season. I think it's just, it's just tough. That's one of those games where if the Blazers had a better record, I think you would say, wow, look at this team go. That's, that's a really good game against a really good opponent. Uh, but it continues to be a, a story, a theme of this year. Going big leads. You know, they came out of the gates hot. Anthony Simons looked great. Jeremy Grant looked great. Liver looked great. Uh, then things just sort of slipped away. And it was, it was, it was a, a story that we've seen all too often this year. And it's, it's defined the year for them so far, I would say. So why put Lillard the farthest away from the pass that he can get? And by the way, now, I, I haven't gone back and le- re-looked at it. I don't know that they set a screen to free him down low either. There was a fourth player. wouldn't be surprised if, if they set a screen under the bucket. Forgive me, I haven't gone back and looked at, at that. But if they did set a screen for him, it didn't work. They did run screen action on the near side, near the pass. But that screen was half-hearted, and those people fairly moved, barely moved, rather. So we didn't we didn't see anything close to the ball. There were zero opportunities to to get the ball in what you would normally consider the target zone. Meanwhile, Lillard is what twenty feet away minimum, and again, as I said, moving directly away from the basket just to have to catch the ball, which means with one point one second left, you've got to catch it, turn. Avoid any defender on you, rise, and hit a very long shot. Now, the very long shot part is not hard, hard for Dame, but what the, was that design? Is there any way that you put Lillard out in the boondocks? Even if you're using him as a decoy, wouldn't you put him where teams would think he could get the ball and where they would have to struggle to prevent him from getting the ball? Do you think that's, I mean, was that a good decision there? Oh, I think in hindsight, it's definitely and pick it. Um, but I think in that situation, I would have probably gone to Anthony Simons. I think I would have used Lillard as a decoy, uh, especially since Lillard, he ended up getting like, he got banged up in the first quarter, hurt his calf, I think, uh, before that. So he wasn't at full strength and Simons had been playing so great. I think you could have used Lillard's attention that he draws and, and, and got a better shot than that. Um, but the Blazers, they just quality the entire second half. I think that it's just a string of different mistakes that, that really cost them. So I, I, I would have went to Simons, but I think it's easy to kind of pick apart, you know, that situation after it already failed. So I'm kind of on the fence about that. Yeah. I mean, one play does not describe it. I think we've talked about this before, but oh boy, I I understand 52 points in the paint. You know, the Blazers are small. Philadelphia has one of the two best centers in the league. Um, The fast break points, I still don't understand. I still don't get it. How can you run such a huge deficit? And, you know, for all the prior regime, look, people criticize Terry Stotts and his offense at the predictability and whatever. And maybe fairly so. I say maybe because I don't think he was really the problem. Nor do I think Chauncey Billups is the sole problem here. But one thing I will say is that if the Blazers were going to play half court under Stotts, they played half court. And they did not score fast break points, but neither did they allow them. I mean, the Blazers were consistently near the top of the league, if nothing else because of their pace, but also because, you know what, they forced the opponent into some sort of half-court game. It feels to me like Billups Blazers want to run, but as soon as they run, everything disintegrates, and they get 10 points from running, and the opponent gets 20. Is that unfair of me? Am I missing something? I don't think it's unfair. Uh, I think it's just kind of just the same thing, the different things that he does right and what he does wrong. I think when I watch Chauncey Billups, um, and I think it's easy to kind of pick apart different different things that we see and we may miss, but he's a coach that I feel like he he makes adjustments the game after, but he doesn't really make them as quickly in game. And uh, you, you sort of see that here in this situation. So um, he's a year two coach. You know, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt there. I don't think it's all completely on him, but there are in game adjustments that I feel like he needs to make. Um, in the New York game, I think there were a lot of examples of that too. That's what we'll get to later. Um, but at the end of the day, I, 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 I agree with you. I don't think it was, it was either of their faults completely, but they could have both done different, different things to make it easier for the Blazers as a whole. So you have the Pelicans game. And the big thing there is that once again, the Blazers got off to a huge start, 42 to 25. Was that the signal to you? I remember watching that quarter and going, okay. Let's see if they have anything left. Oops, this is not good. And 
you know, they fought back a little bit in the second and then just got destroyed again in the third. And by that time, it didn't matter what happened in the fourth. It felt like that was kind of a little bit the white flag game. Yeah, I, I had similar observations when I watched it, too. Um, I, I was inspired by the way the second half, our second quarter went with Wofford and Simons and Little in that group. Uh, but it reinforced something that had been on my mind for a while. Um, let me let me read you the, the three teams with the worst third quarter net rating in the NBA over the last two months. The Houston Rockets at minus 13.1, the San Antonio Spurs at minus 10.2, and guess who? The Portland Trailblazers at minus 9.3. Now, two of those teams are taking, and one of those teams thinks they're going to make the, the, the postseason and compete. Um, and I, it just It's just something that kind of struck me with the Pelicans game. Uh, this is one of the many Achilles heels of this this group. And this is not one of those things that you see with, with, with postseason contenders and championship contenders at that. So when we're talking about Chauncey Billups and whatnot, I think that's one of those things that you got to think about, too. This team just gets just destroyed after halftime. And the Pelicans really ran away with that game. Felt like a preseason game, honestly, with, with Trey Murphy scoring 40 and, and no Lillard, Bretton Simons under 25 minutes. So it's just a, a, a it was predictable game. I thought it was going to go like that without Lillard, but a little bit worse than you maybe expected. And just it underscored a, a key flaw in Portland's game this year. Yeah. As you say, they missed Dame in that one. But, I mean, there's a difference between missing Dame and not showing up now this pointed out a couple things about the blazers that were interesting first of all they shot almost 50 percent for the game i think i remember commenting because they were up above that they were like up 60 or shooting 60 percent at one point and they were down 20 like how do you shoot 60 percent from the field and trail by 20 the other thing is, of course, Trey Murphy, he went off 9 for 14. He was blistering hot like Lillard has been sometimes. That said, oh boy, uh, the Blazers only shot 10 for 33, and they can't win unless they have a clear advantage in threes anymore. Are we comfortable saying that? I would say so. Um, yeah, they, they, they're a team that I don't think they do enough things outside of that to really to – really put schedule, you know, defensively, they're a team area. Um, and I don't play with a lot of aggressiveness inside the paint. I think with Nurkic guys in and out, it's definitely tougher. But, you know, at the end of the day, I don't really think that they have, they have an identity. You know, they, they struggle to win games consistently, offensively, defensively. So you just kind of just hope for the best every single night. And I think that's an unhealthy strategy in terms of, of trying to string together wins. So. Yeah, and this is so prevalent that in that game, the Blazers actually scored 64 in the paint and won the paint battle by 20. I mean, that was just, I mean, they don't have Zion Williamson, right? And they got Valanciunas inside. This is incredible on a night when Yusuf Nurkic basically went 0 for 5 and didn't show up. I mean, he was... His stat line was negative 20 in 10 minutes. So that's like worse than not being there. Even so, they scored a ton of paint points. They did not get over-dominated inside. And still, without those threes, they don't win. Uh, that's, yeah, uh, there, there's a lot going on there. But by the way, they won the rebounding battle, too, and the offensive rebounding battle. The only thing they really lost besides threes was free throws. Uh, and they were minus eight at the uh, free throw line. So all the extra points went to New Orleans. Portland played the basic game okay, except for Nurkic, and didn't even come close. So that, too, I might, might indicate to me a little bit, okay, this is not just a coaching problem. They're doing a ton of things right. There's, there's some basic flaws in this roster when you can perform that well and still not come close to winning. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing. The Blazers haven't done anything this year. They've given us some some really weird box scores. I hadn't seen that that negative twenty in, in ten minutes from Nurkic. Um, how have you felt about the way he's he's come back and played? Because I, I I looked at his game against Philadelphia and I was a little bit disappointed uh, seeing him kind of set up for those three pointers. I think it would have been great for that for them to be able to pull Embiid out of the paint and uh, at least send a message: that, Hey, we're going to shoot these shots. We're going to keep you out. Uh, but overall, I, I haven't been as uh, positive as I maybe thought I would be in, upon his return. Uh, but there's been some good men, also some 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 pickups too. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I stopped feeling good about Nurkic a while ago, and I've kind of come to the rest spot of he's 
he's a good center. He's an average center, you know? He's he's not going to be that guy we saw pre-injury, I don't think. Uh, and the Blazers are frankly not using him like they want him to be that. So I've given up on Nurkic being a savior. He's the fourth guy on the team at this point. And I expect more, obviously, from Lillard, but also Anthony Simons returning. And also, frankly, Jeremy Grant at this point. So that and coming back from injuries, needing a couple games to get in the groove, I'm all right with his performances this week. I also think that even having a decent center, you know, Nurkic is a decent center. I'm all right with that. And the amount of difference that makes for the Blazers. It shows you how much they've been leaning on Drew Eubanks. But I would say this, that no matter what Nurkic does at this point, he is not going to be the guy that this team needs. I mean, New York, he was 5 for 11, 10 rebounds, great Nurk performance, you know, 10, 10 points in 28 minutes. The Blazers still got housed. Uh, he's not, he's lost weight. I think he's, he's faster than he was. The Blazers still aren't getting back on the break with him. They're still not able to cover the three point arc. They gave up 15 to for 35, 43% to the Knicks. Uh, they gave up 51% shooting almost 52 in that game. Now the Knicks have been playing well, but you know, they're not, they're not deities, and in, in, that was a good game for them. They gave Portland gave up 50 points in the paint and only scored 34 with Nurk in the lineup. It's not, it's not happening with their big man core. Yeah, I, I, I can I can get that perspective too. Um, I feel like with Nurk, it's, it's better if you if you lower your expectations a little bit. And I feel like I've had to do that with with every player on this team, other than maybe Damian Lillard. Like even Jeremy Grant, you know, you mentioned how good of a player he's been, and and I agree with you that he's. He superseded Nurkic as the third guy. But part of me also wonders, you know, if he can be the the second or third best player on a championship team. You know, he's a, a, a he has a couple of plays each game in which you go, wow. Like, he's he's definitely making some things happen. He's a sensational talent. Uh, but there are some flaws in this game that I think have, have, sort of, have sort of been uncovered over the last couple of weeks. You know, the spotty shot selection, uh, the lack of rebounding. When, when Nurkic was out, you know, you were wondering, who was going to step up on the glass. And we thought maybe it would be Jeremy Grant, but it wasn't. Um, and it'll be interesting. You know, the Blazers will have a situation this offseason in which they're going to try to keep him and then try to uh, limbo between the luxury tax and whatnot. Um, and they've already paid a lot of money to, to Lillard, Nurgage, and Simons, and that trio, it hasn't really gone where we want it to go. So that'll be something to watch too. But I agree with, with your take on it in terms of uh, lowering expectations a little bit on some of the guys on this team. And, Makes it a little bit more interesting to watch, but uh, it's, it's it's questionable. Yeah, I mean, a couple of problems nagged them against New York, too. They gave up 18 fast break points. Now, they scored 16, so they gave as good as they got, but that's still a pretty big number. Uh, they lost the free throw battle again. In fact, Portland only shot 18 foul shots, and the Knicks hit 24 out of 34. So even though the Blazers were dominating in the paint, they couldn't defend there without fouling. It just, it feels like the old story of that, you know, Dutch kid in the dike where you put your finger into one gap in it and then something else spills out and then you go to plug that one and then something else spills out. Almost no matter what the Blazers are doing right now, they do two things well and give up three or four better ones to the opponent. And that's why we're seeing increasingly they're not even having a chance in these games. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd agree with that. You know, for every step forward, there are two steps back. Um, and I think there's an example in that Knicks game that kind of spells that perfectly. You know, they jumped out to a 12 transition uh, points in transition lead. And then by the end of the game, they had lost that altogether. And I think they sort of went away with, with what they were doing in the first half. But part of it, I think, is just that, that Tom Thibodeau, made more adjustments than Chauncey Billups did. Now, if you're looking at that first quarter and that first half in general, they were running the pick and roll with with ease. You know, they were uh, taking advantage of the roller, making them pick, had players cutting from the from the corners and whatnot. So it was just fantastic. Um, and in the second half, you noticed that the New York Knicks, they they played a little bit more aggressively, you know, in the pick and roll, taking the ball out of Lillard's hands and making it tougher for him. But I think the, the most, 
ironic thing about that game was that Josh Hart, after all of those months of being scared to shoot three pointers, came out and had one of the best games of the of the season. You know, and then he had more points, rebounds, and assists than the entire Blazers second unit all like, combined, like all together. So, lots of negatives in that game. Um, lots of trends that you can kind of see that have taken part in what the Blazers have done this year. This is their 16th game th- this year in which they've blown a double-digit lead, most in the NBA. Uh, the bench was the bench struggled again defensively. They struggled three-point line, struggling to defend that. So, a lot of different things that we've seen, you know, game after game, you know, showing its face again in this one here. So it was it was, it was tough. Yeah, an interesting wrinkle that we talked about a little bit. It appeared in the first parts of the Knicks game that the Blazers weren't going after offensive rebounds very hard and were concentrating on on getting back. There was one or zero players on Portland's side trying to hit that offensive glass. And they actually, I think, did marginally better. I mean, there weren't as many free and easy transition buckets for New York. But then they went away from that, it felt like. They ended up with 11 offensive rebounds, and we know that some of those are going to happen because accidentally, I mean, you don't turn them down. But it seemed like, as the game went on, New York got faster and Portland got slower, which is weird because, A, New York was the road team. B, New York had played the night before, if I recall correctly, and Portland hadn't. And it just looked like it was a battle of attrition or fatigue, which blows your mind. And, by the way, the Blazers are a young team, as we keep underlining with these fast-break discussions. I don't, this is literally bizarro land. Of all the things that I thought would happen, New York speeding up and Portland slowing down, especially getting back in transition as the game allowed. And this is not a, this is not a, a, a play style thing. This is not a conscious choice like to, okay, I'm going to run back slower on defense because there's an advantage. No, literally, like there's no advantage to not getting back. And yet Portland got slower and slower. New York gets faster and faster. I'm just, if if you told me now that they were trying to lose these games, and I hate to bring that up because I don't think they are, I don't think there's any way that they are, I don't think that's true. But if you told me that and just showed me the game, I would believe it. Yeah, part of me just wishes that NBA games were eight minutes long now. They were eight minutes long, the Blazers would probably be, you know, 45 and 20, something like that. Uh, but it's tough. Like, like you mentioned, they had the rest advantage. This was a team that had come off of a six-game road trip you know, getting back home. Usually when teams do that and they get back home, they're excited to be there. But uh, a couple of different times this year, you know, the Blazers have come back home and basically laid an egg. You know, I think about that Orlando game earlier this year, uh, coming off the long road trip. So just different different things that you wouldn't expect to see out of this group. Um, and maybe it's something that just comes with, with experience and, and getting more repetitions with that, you know, not only with the coaching staff, but also the players too. So, uh, but it's tough and, and doesn't get any easier tonight. They got the, the Boston Celtics. So, um, I'm interested to see how the how the how the standings thing works out because if you look at the the draft odds, and I was looking at it earlier today, the number six spot gives you a nine percent chance of the number one, whereas the number twelve gets you that was the one point five percent chance of the number one. So how that plays out, you know, the Blazers they're not gonna you know come out and say, hey, we're we're tanking, we're not gonna do anything like that. But you know, it'll be something to watch for, you know, as they continue to slide down the standings and and especially they don't make a move over the next couple of days. Yeah. At- this point, well, first of all, let's look at what the Blazers, this is as we speak and record this podcast, it'll be slightly different by one game when you hear it. But at this point, the Blazers have 38 losses, and the team in 10th, the Oklahoma City Thunder, has 36. So with 13 games remaining, obviously that's an achievable goal to still make 10th place. By the way, the Utah Jazz and New Orleans Pelicans also have 36. So the Blazers are, still aren't that far back. They're just going at it the wrong way. I mean, they are they are now the gap. I mean, to put it put it another way, the the Pelicans, who's the team right in front of the Blazers in 12, are only those same two losses away from Golden State at sixth in the conference. So the numbers themselves are not that big. But as we keep saying, it's hard to climb past everybody. And the more teams in between you and your goal, the harder it is. Every loss now is putting the Blazers or putting more teams in between the Blazers and their goal. And the Blazers are losing like hotcakes. So this is not good. 
The Blazers are also four games ahead of the team that's next below them in the standings, which is the Orlando Magic. The Magic have 42 losses. The Blazers have 38. The, the Blazers are going to have a hard time outlosing Orlando. So I'm not sure that they can go any farther down. They are slightly below the Chicago Bulls with 37 losses and right tied with the Indiana Pacers, who have 38. So that's really the question it looks like right now. How's it going to sort out, if the Blazers don't make it, between the teams right ahead of them in the West, who have two more losses at this point, a team in the East that has the same amount of losses, and actually two, the Washington Wizards and Chicago Bulls, that have one less loss. So there's a group of about six there that's going to sort itself out. and. If you're not going to make it, obviously you want to be on the bottom of that pile. Right now, Portland is, but who knows? If they come back and win two games, now they're almost 10th. And now you're talking about the play-in again. This is just as confusing as the way the Blazers are playing. Yeah, and to piggyback on what you said last week, um, you want to be on the highway and, and, and trying to decide if you're going to exit or stay on, stay on the main road. So hopefully they make a decision soon. And like you said, you know, decide to win or lose there are other teams trying to do the exact same thing and uh it doesn't help that the, the schedule is dwindling down games left in the season and the Blazers have the ninth toughest schedule in the league so I think that'll be something to think about you know if you if you lose the next two or three games and you continue to spot like I don't know when exactly the the so-called injuries start to pop up where they, they miss where they miss games and and do the unofficial tank but uh, that'll be something to look at too I think that this week here is going to be big uh but the schedule is so daunting that you know, I don't. I don't know how much confidence I have in it. In overall, um, but Boston, L.A., Utah, Chicago's—they, they, Chicago's like the, the number one rating over the last uh, week or two. So, yeah, I'll watch too. But it, it'll. I mean, watch, watch Damian Lillard's calf. That's going to tell you everything, right? So, if he's got calf soreness and he's playing or not playing, that'll be a big indicator. And by the way, if Dame's playing, he's either playing for the. Uh, playoffs or a scoring title either of which shows that the Blazers are still engaged for something right so that's a positive sign if you want them to make the playoffs if his calf remains sore and he can't go then I think this question is pretty much answered because you're not going to make a serious I mean they can win some games but you're not looking at overtaking four teams without Damian Lillard at this point probably uh yeah w what a headache I mean, of all the discussions, look, we've had these discussions before in prior years. Can the Blazers make the playoffs? What seed are they going to be? Are the Blazers a play-in team? We've had that one, too. The Blazers are tanking. We've literally had that one, and that was obviously last year. I don't think we've ever had a discussion like this. Like, not just what the heck are the Blazers doing, but what the hell should they do because there's no definitive answer to that based on their talent, the way they're playing, their position in the standings, and the potential goals of either. I mean, let's let's lay this out. We're spending a lot of angst and thought time trying to choose between the ninth or tenth spot, which puts you in the play-in, or the sixth or fifth worst odds in the lottery. Those are not your primary prizes. I mean, we are not, we're choosing between Jack in the Box and Arby's here, okay? There's no filet mignon on the menu. The, this is not great. Not, it's really not. And life in the it comes at you quickly. Uh, like I said, I wasn't expecting to have this conversation, you know, this thing last week. Um, so it'll be, it'll be something to look at. You know, the Blazers, I think when they look back on this year, I think that the, the 14 losses that they had, uh, when they wish they led by 11 or more, I think it's going to come back to bite them. They're going to live to regret a lot of those games. Um, they got some some curious injuries that I think have, have sort of have sort of uh, played a role in this too. But at the same time, I think it'd be the most Portland thing ever if they came out and went two and one and, and got right back into it. And next week we're talking about <laughs> the exact same thing. I'm, I'm very unsure. You know, as much as we watch this team and talk about this team, it's still it's it's hard to get a pulse on what they're trying to do. And maybe they know internally, but. They're, they're they're holding their car as well, and they're not showing exactly what they want to do. So uh, maybe we'll learn something this week. <laughs> I think internally they're trying to win. They're just not able to do it. 
which might be the most frustrating option of all if you're an observer, but hey, two things. The smaller one, everybody who says, says games don't matter until Christmas or games don't matter until the playoff run. Look, we can point back to some games in December, in January, in February, where you're going like, oh, they shouldn't have lost that one. And there are not a ton of them. It's not like there were 12. Although, as you say, the Blazers lead the league in blowing leads. But there are a few where you could go, okay, that shouldn't have been a loss. That was a boo-boo. Hopefully it won't matter. You know what? Three games would matter hugely right now. We would be having a whole different discussion if the Blazers had three more wins and three fewer losses. The other big topic that we should get to, the one that provoked the most discussion during the week, how much of this is Chauncey's fault? How much of this is coaching? And we've touched on this lightly, but we probably better drill down deep. I mean, what do you feel that Coach Billups is doing right or wrong, if anything? Uh, I think when you look at what he's doing right, I think that the ideas that we had when he first came in about him being a player's coach and somebody that players would fight for, I think that's that's still truthful. Um, I think that he's um, how can I how can I say this? I'm not sure the right way to say it, but I think that he he has some of the right ideas. You know what I'm saying? In terms of, I don't think his own defense works as much as he he, he thinks it does. But I think the concept behind it, in terms of you know trying to stop a team's rhythm um, and putting it in and trying to catch them off guard, I think that's that's the right way to approach it. Um, but in terms of the flaws, you know, I look at just some of the some of the situations the Blazers have been in this year. You know, I, I, I'm writing about this now. Um, up eight points with four minutes left against Golden State. Up five points with four minutes to go against uh, Oklahoma City. Up 11 with nine minutes to go against Denver and losing all those games. I think it's just something that you got to look at coaching. You know what I'm saying? This isn't a, a, a Blazers team that historically has, has played this poorly with leads. You know, they've, they've had some hiccups in the past, but they haven't been this bad. So I think you have to point the finger at coaching. Uh, when the team comes out flat, I think you look at the coaching staff, and I don't think it's all on Chauncey Phillips. Uh, but part of it, I think, is you gotta you gotta point the finger somewhere, and I think the coach is, is somewhere there too. And I think that the big thing was, I think it was a risk to give him a, a five year deal. You know, I don't think you ever want to count anyone's money or anything like that. But um, a, a first year coach that you hadn't seen, you give him a deal like that. I think you want to see him prove himself first. But overall. Um, I think there's enough blame. They're kind of rushing around to everybody involved. And, and, and Billups is near the top of that list, but he's definitely not not alone in that regard, though. Yeah. I mean, the contract was interesting. I mean, he was Neil Olshay's guy. There were rumors that that was true from the start, and the rest was just a facade. I wouldn't discount that entirely. But this was Neil's MO, right? I mean, what happened after the 2019 Western Conference Finals run, which, by the way, as I keep pointing out, the Blazers got swept out of, and if that's the ultimate pinnacle, we can point to a dozen teams who have done that in the last decade, right? So not to discount the fun and that, you know, they did well that year. I'm not saying that. But like its ultimate significance at that point was still very much in doubt and has proven since that it wasn't really that significant on the course of the team, right? Or we wouldn't be having this discussion. What happened right after that success? New owner, that unfortunately was the season that Paul Allen passed, right? New owner, Neil goes and gets himself and Terry Stott's extensions, you know, new contracts. And then brings in his guy, Chauncey, and gives him five years to a, to a guy who has never coached. And like you, I'm fine that Billups has it. I'm That's great. I'm, I'm happy for Coach Billups, and I would not take that away. But this is, again, this is what Neil does did, surround himself with his people that he wanted for his own reasons, and then find a way to make bank with them. All right, so we're seeing the shortcomings I mean, we had Coach Stotts for years and years. I guess that was a plus, right? But we're seeing the shortcomings right now of when it doesn't work. Uh, you're kind of like, okay, are the Blazers willing to eat the money uh, for even considering this decision? And that answer might be no. We're willing to pay a coach for the next three years for not coaching? If the answer to that is no, this is all a moot point. <sighs> Can a coach make a difference? I mean, and that's, I think that's another serious question. 
do you how much difference do you think a different coach, even an ideal coach, would make with this roster this year? I think that's well said. I, I, to give to give Chauncey Billups credit, he's really went out here and coached some, some really ragtag bunches, you know, some really high groups. You know, what I'm saying that we can put in politely, um, especially with last year's group, last year's team. A lot of those guys that he started in those games aren't in there right now. I think as as observers, you know, we kind of look at players like Anthony Simons and, and Jeremy Grant and even Lillard and their flaws and whatnot, and we blame them, but then we also blame the coach too. So I think it's it's just it's kind of hard to put the blame on just any one person. Um, and and Billups with this with this team, like I said, my my biggest gripe has been the big leads that that the Blazers have lost this year. Uh, but I think I said a long time ago when it comes to like a second year coach. I'm kind of willing to look at it the same way I would look at it, a second-year player. You know, second-year player would still have those same hiccups that they had in year one and uh, try to find a way to grow through that. So I think just kind of keeping things in perspective, um, being mindful of that and understanding that he's, he's still learning things each day, each game. Uh, that's, that's kind of how I look at it. you got to temper expectations, and it may not be the the most, I guess, realistic way to look at it, but it's, I think it's, it's the way you have to keep your sanity and not – overly analyze, overly critique things that, you know, you may not see in the locker rooms. Yeah. To the defense of Coach Billups, by total minutes played this season, obviously you have Grant, Simons, and Lillard as the top three. You knew that was going to happen. There would be no argument there. And, by the way, as long as they're playing, it should be argued that Billups has a reasonably good team. But I think you can also argue that Billups has done reasonably well by them. I mean, Jeremy Grant does not have to be averaging 20 points a game, right? And shooting well from the three-point arc and basically able to produce despite some weaknesses, including rebounding, which for most of the season the Blazers made up for. Okay, great. Anthony Simons was brand new to this role and this level of responsibility. And I think overall, he's done really well. Uh, there have been times when the team's been out of continuity and he's also been up and down, but I don't think there's causation there. I think that the fluctuation is all around him and he also fluctuates because you know what? He's brand new and there's not a lot of stability there. And then, of course, Lillard is having a career season. So let's put those in a box. Let's look at the rest of the team by minutes played. Your next guy is Josh Hart, who is gone now. Then you got Shaden Sharp, who is a fancy name and we love him right but rewind back to the beginning of the season what did you think of Shaden Sharp it was three question marks right (laughs) because he's not played organized ball so you know that he's going to go up and down and the fact that Shaden Sharp is number five shows both the Blazers trust in him and his ability that's great but also where this team is okay Drew Eubanks is number six, and automatically you would red flag that. And again, love Drew Eubanks. I just, I want him on this team, like, as long as he wants to stay. Do you understand? That's how I feel about him. But if Drew Eubanks is your sixth player and your first center, go back to the beginning of the year, go back to the summer. If you said that was going to happen, you're going like, oh, I'm starting to have doubts, right? Yusuf Nurkic is next, but his minutes are significantly less. Then you've got Trendon Watford, Nasir Little, Justice Winslow, Cam Reddish, simply because he hasn't played as much he, uh, with his team. He obviously was traded midseason, but he's playing a lot of minutes. Uh, and then Jabari Walker and then Matisse Thybul. Among those names, other than Nurkic and understanding that Hart is gone, if you were going, this is the bulk of your team, you'd be going, uh, this is not going to... This, this is going to be interesting. Let's put it that way. Now, that's not going to work, but this is not exactly the 80s Lakers or 90s Celtics going on here, or 90s uh, Bulls, rather. You're in hot water here. And I think Coach Phillips has been in hot water because no matter who he substitutes, no matter what scheme he calls, there are always two to three players in it that you're just going, I hope this works out. Absolutely. I, I, I get all of that. And I think that he, he talked about it a few weeks ago in terms of just the lack of size. I think it's hard to coach when you've got this lack of size on this team. He said before, like, we wish we had the luxury to do more things. And, and you know, I think that seeing him do that with, with, a, with a, a taller group, a bigger group, I think maybe it'd make a difference too. Um, just thinking on it optimistically. And a lot of the money they spent this year, they've been in suits on the sidelines or they're not on the team anymore. Like a guy like Jeff Eslow hasn't played since with December the 23rd with a sprained ankle, a grain two sprained ankle. Um, so just different guys on this team. You look at the rest of the, the rest of the minutes, Trenton Wofford, Nazir Little, 
Cam Reddish. And this is a team that got younger when we thought they maybe would get older at the trade deadline. So uh, a lot of a lot of like, situations in which he's kind of had the coach with a hand behind his back. And that doesn't, you know, absolve everything that he's done. You know, I think he's he's played a role in it, but just putting everything into perspective, yeah, they they I think the roster construction definitely could have been better for him. And the injury situations could have been better for him too. Uh but yeah, like I, I think with like everything else, you can point the finger a lot of different ways. Um when it comes to Billups and, and, and the way he's coached as of late. Yeah. I mean, if you were to say, well, the Blazers got Cam Reddish for an experiment and he's going to be the 10th guy in the rotation, maybe work his way up, everybody would thumbs up that, right? Hey, they must have saw something. Mike Schmidt's like, if you say, well, Cam Reddish is the guy who's coming in after the trade deadline to save your season. Uh, holy buckets. That's that's an issue. Uh, Matisse Thibel, a little bit less so. The shock is a little less, but even so, you know, yeah, okay, you got a good defender. He can help out. Maybe he's your eighth guy or whatever. Uh, Matisse Thibel's now going to start a lot of nights, and he's now a key player off your bench, and your whole defense is hinging on him because nobody else can do it. Well, I love Matisse Thibel. Good get, but he's not that guy. I mean, he's not Pascal Siakam. <laughs> I mean, that's and that's what the Blazers need, right? And to your point about age, Let's look at this among the major players. Anthony Simons, 23. Shaden Sharp, 19. Drew Eubanks, 25, and he's the steady one. Uh, Trendon Watford, 22. Nasir Little, 22. Justice Winslow, the veteran, 26, and hasn't really played all those years of his career like full seasons. Uh, Cam Reddish, he's 23. Jabari Walker is 20. Matisse Thibel is 25. You have to get 14 players deep among the players who have played in order to find, like, players off the bench with any experience. And the Blazers have traded away the guys who had it. So, yeah, it's... Hey, hey, look, in retrospect, and we kind of said this, but we can underline it stronger. As soon as they traded away Josh Hart and Gary Payton, you knew how this was going. And I'm not saying they were tanking, but you knew they were no longer in fully win-now mode simply because they got rid of their veterans who could actually do that. Yeah, I think it would have been wishful thinking to kind of expect you know, Reddit and, and all those guys that came in to come in right, come right in and, and immediately make the big impact that we expected. Um, so, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just a weird situation, a weird time, because we still don't know what they're going to do long time either, so. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not too sure about what the franchise is going at this point, but it'd be fun to see. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting. Yeah, they're walking into the summer with very few bigs, very few veterans, a whole bunch of salary cap obligations, especially if they keep Jeremy Grant. That's That's an interesting puzzle. I mean, and now we're not talking about, like, you know, holes in the dam. Now we're talking about the river has washed it away and you're just trying to hold on to to parts of it. Uh, not sure that's going to work. And this is why I think, I mean, we say this every year, they've got to do it now. But what we meant in years past, I think, was, well, they've got to do it now if they want to contend. Okay, then it's like, okay, maybe they can't contend. They got to do it now if they want to stay relevant and make a run at contending. Well, okay, can't quite do that. Got to do it now if they want to save Damian Lillard's career. Um, apparently can't quite do that. At this point, it's like they've got to do it now if they have any hope of staying intact. We've literally reached the bottom of the consequence barrel. And they still haven't done it. So at some point, they're going to have to draw a line in how much they're willing to sink into this experiment because it keeps not working. Yeah, I'm just hoping for a, a, a clear-cut path, you know, at this point in time over the next two weeks. Hopefully they can decide. Hopefully it's not a situation where they're, they're still trying to compete and losing and, and end up hurting themselves in terms of getting a good draft pick. Uh, there's some, some really talented guys in this year's draft where they can, you know, kind of address the defense, address size and whatnot. So uh, that'll be something to look at too. But I don't know because this, this this next week is, 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 is tough and – they're just a big question mark. You would think that 70 games into the season, you would kind of know what a team's identity is and what they're going to do. Uh, but right now, there is as, as questionable as the team in, in the league that I think that there is in terms of those competing for a postseason. 
I don't know. <laughs> exactly one thing will bring a clear-cut path, and the only thing it's going to be for the super clear-cut is the number one pick in the 2023 NBA draft. I mean, that would do it. Uh, they could probably also forge some kind of a path with picks two through four, but man, if they end up with pick, you know, 12, I, it doesn't get any clearer at all. So, yeah, uh, and clearly... Again, I think the, the clock is going to run out on this experiment, no matter what they say. It's just whether they're going to be able to admit it to themselves. Speaking of experiment and admitting things, okay, so tonight as we talk, uh, the Blazers host the Boston Celtics. On Sunday, they host the Los Angeles Clippers. And next Wednesday, the Utah Jazz in Utah. Now, I mean, those names are a lot tougher than the ones we've been talking about. And the Blazers have managed to lose most of the games they've played. Do you see any hope of any wins against any of these? I think to, uh, the, the Friday game is going to com- depend completely on if, if Jason Tatum plays. You know, he's got a bad hip, so they're they're saying he's questionable. If he if he plays, I think there's no chance Portland wins that game. If he doesn't, I think you give him a little bit of a chance. Um, and it's sort of sort of thoughtful to remember that just a couple of weeks ago the Blazers had their worst shooting game of the entire season against Boston, and not much has changed since March eighth. So it's it's, it's Kind of hard to kind of uh, pin a win there, so I'm going to go a loss. Um, especially if, like I said, if Tatum doesn't play, the Clippers game I think is is I don't like that matchup at all. And then Paul George and those guys, and I think they can switch up things and and the pick and roll and kind of attack that. So I'm going to go with a loss there too, and then I'll go with the win in, in Utah. Utah's been struggling a little bit as well, so uh, I'll go one and two, um, but not too optimistic about that. I'll go one and two, but I'm not sure. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can't go 2-1, and one and going 0-3 oh is just depressing, right? So, yeah, uh, I don't, I mean, who knows at this point? Who knows? I, and, and the big question, of course, is not what the record will be, but how much it matters. And we'll know a little bit more about that, perhaps. But uh, after that, they get the Bulls. That's not an easy out anymore. Oklahoma City might be. And then New Orleans again. Depends on how much pride they have, I suppose. And then twice against Sacramento, which is, I mean, the Kings, once upon a time, you would have gone, well, we'll bounce back against them. But they are on fire. They are the team that Portland wanted to be, right? So, look, even if you pause it, let's say they beat Oklahoma City and beat New Orleans after this week they still got what one and one against sacramento let's hope that's three wins and you said one in the coming weeks that's four wins in the next eight games that doesn't take them anywhere i mean and that's literally we're giving them wins that they haven't earned credit for like they haven't there's no reason we should be saying they win these games other than we're going they're not gonna suck so okay best Best case scenario looks like four and four. Miracle scenario would be five and three. Okay, you gained a game. <laughs> uh, is the season over? I mean, as far as contention, what the, what are the chances that we're just we're just done right now? I'll tell you what scares me about it uh, in the Western Conference. It's like with it being so tight, every team's gonna have something to play for. And I might have said it last week, but like. Usually in years past, you would see that last game against Golden State, and you would say, "Oh, they got 60 wins. Now they'll they'll play their backups. They don't got to, They don't have anything to play for." Now it's like that might be the spot that gets them out of the play and into the into the, the main the main seating. So same with the LA Clippers, and that's a back to back too. Um, so that, I, the only game I see on there that I would really be confident about is that April 6 game against San Antonio. <laughs> but other than that, you know, I I couldn't really reasonably predicting to win any of these games you know especially with everybody having something to play for whether it's individual or team team uh, team oriented oriented so yeah uh, it's 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 hard it's hard to say you know I, I i don't i don't feel positive about it though i'll tell you that there are three teams in the west well actually that's not true there's only one team in the west that's not deeply embroiled in some kind of race right now and that's the denver nuggets and they've been losing they're five and five so they're not even that far ahead but they've got 23 losses and Sacramento and Memphis are at 27. So they've at least got a little breathing room, but there are still, you know, 10 to 13 games left for all of these teams. So yeah, you're just, even that's not entirely safe, but Sacramento and Memphis literally are tied. Phoenix, the Clippers, 
Golden State, all within two games of each other. Right below them, Minnesota, Dallas, the Lakers, the Thunder, the Jazz, and the Pelicans, all within two losses of each other. Then you got Portland kind of alone in no man's land. There's a gap there for 38 losses. And then below Portland, even in the West, even the poor Spurs and Rockets are at 51 and 52 losses. So they're in a race just in a different direction. Like, there's nobody who for whom these games aren't significant at this point. And I guess that's what you wanted. But this just seems like a weird way to get it. It's like, how round are your tapioca bubbles in the pudding? It's like, well, we don't really care, but I guess we're measuring. Uh, it's It's all mush. But... It's going to be entertaining, Mush, and certainly uh, the Blazers can't expect an easy ride uh, towards the finish, except, as you say, with San Antonio. Yeah, that, that entire Western Conference is packed like some sardines, can of sardines. It's, 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 it's weird. I would have loved to have seen the 2019 Blazers in this this Western Conference here. It may be maybe the second or maybe the first or second best team in the whole conference. You know, it's, I mean, just didn't align, I guess. But that would have been a lot of fun to see, for sure. Yeah, right team, wrong time, of course. If you did that, then Golden State would want to bring back their team, too. Uh, but, yeah, like, I think everybody in the West is going to think that. Like, if if we had our best team, we would be all right here, but we don't. All right, well, let's wrap it there and hope that the Blazers can get that one win that you talked about, Marla. We will see next week. And I, I think we already know. I'll answer my own question. I think there's at least a 90% chance that this season is now finished. Not to discourage you. We'll talk about lots of stuff besides that. But I, I think wins and losses are becoming increasingly less important. Uh, paradoxically, as the West is tightening up, I think Portland is, is done. But maybe they'll ring that 10% margin, and, and we'll see. We'll know for sure, for sure, for sure next week. And we will hope to see you then. For Marlo Ferguson, I'm Dave Deckard. And uh, go Blazers. We just don't know which direction. 